Hey everybody, this is Jeff Rubin, host of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show, here this week with Chris Gethard, host of the Chris Gethard Show. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Glad to be here. Before we get to the Chris Gethard Show, which is on public access and absolutely fucking insane, there are a few other things I want to talk about. On the other show I used to do, there was a segment where people would send in embarrassing nerd stories from their past, and you have an amazing one. And yeah. I've seen you tell it on stage, but it's long and it's in-depth. And the segment on the show was only something like 30 seconds. And we could never right. quite figure out how to get you into that slot. But I, I really wanted to hear that story again and share that story. But now we're in podcast land, and we got nothing but time. Yeah, we could take our time and really delve into the shame and embarrassment that happened to me in eighth grade. Let's, Let's get into it. Yeah, the year. This was August of 1994 that the this great shame began. And I know that because I'm looking at a comic book, Jeff, as you can see, mm -hmm. but listeners can't see. I'm looking at a copy of X-Factor number 105. Now, I'm a big nerd, and any other nerds out there who grew up on the X-Men will know that in X-Factor number 100, the multiple man died. Jamie Madrox, Madrox, however you say it. The multiple man died of the legacy virus. And as a young man, I had some issues getting attached to things. I was a very emotional kid. And I was very upset when the multiple man died. The, leg the legacy virus was like the AIDS. I mean, it, it was it, it was it, AIDS. it was AIDS. It was basically. just AIDS for mutants. It, it is AIDS yeah. for mutants, and yeah. uh, it took we suffered a lot of tough losses in the uh, in the nineties. Oh yeah, P yeah, Colossus's younger sister. But we can get into that because I cite some of the examples in the unfortunate letter that I wrote in a fit of passion. Because people that don't read comic books might not realize, but in the last two pages of any comic book, for as long as I've been reading them, letters to the editor. Yeah. And you have a letter to the editor in X-Factor 105. X-Factor, for any nerds out there who want to make fun of me, go out, buy X-Factor number 105. You can read a letter from me about how the multiple man died. Or if you don't want to buy it, I can just read it here. Why don't we just do that now? Okay. Just because, you know. It's bad. I don't, I, I, it's not that I mind buying it. I just don't want to take it out of the, the Mylar bag. Yeah, it's really bad. So this is your letter that was published in X-Men. In yeah. X-Factor, not X even X-Men. Yeah. X-Factor. Not even Uncanny X-Men, not X-Men, not even X-Force. X-Factor. Because yeah. we should explain once again for the, the civilians amongst us that yeah. you know X-Men's so popular. There's like 50 spinoffs. There's X-Factor, yeah. X-Force, Wolverine. So this is in one of the less one of a good but one of the less popular. It was it was to be fair, it was really good. There was a writer named Peter David who had a run on this book. It was really good, but this was probably the fourth most popular X-Men book, ranking in only above Excalibur, the weird British X team. So let's just get into it. So the name of the letter page is Exchanges. That's what they called their letter section. With an X, obviously. Yes, with an X dash changes. I wrote Dear Exchanges. In the past seven months, there have been a whole lot of great X-Comics. Some of them made me think, and yes, I'll be the first to admit it, some of them made me cry. Most of these have been affiliated with the legacy virus. Two such issues that made me emotional were Ilyana's death in Uncanny X-Men and Infectious death in X-Men. Ilyana was... Peter's sister. Yes, we Colossus's sister. I will say, I remember Ilyana was a major character in the X Men world. Infectia, I don't even know who that is, but apparently it made <laughs> I think me cry. She had disease. I mean, obviously, she had some sort of disease based power. I believe she may have been an empath. She may have yeah, felt yeah. other people's pain. It's so funny. Is I'm, I'm reading this, I'm hearing you read this letter about how sad and how this comic book affected you, and you're holding it up and reading it, and all I can see is the back page, which is a crunch and munch ad yeah. with like Wolverine claws over that it. That was my life, man. 
Okay, so to continue. However, none have made me so sad as X Factor number 100. I have loved X Factor for the eight years that I've collected comics. I really loved it when the new team came on, especially because it included my favorite character, Jamie Madrox, the multiple man. I first saw Jamie in the reprints of the Proteus storyline from Uncanny X-Men. I thought that his power was unique, and his old green and yellow costume was one of my favorites. That's one of the first of many sad lines. His costume was one of my favorites. Was well, it your favorite costume or of his or just No, in general, I'm like, that's him. an awesome costume. Just it denotes the sadness that was my childhood. Uh, needless to say, when my eyes graced the cover to number 100 as I walked past the comic book shelves, I grabbed it. I knew that Jamie had the virus, and you'll see here I capitalized everything. But he's dead? No! And I put four exclamation points. As soon as I got home, I read this issue. I saw the effect on his dupes, giving them a multiple personality disorder. Dupes, because the multiple man could create duplicates of himself, yes. which, of course, he called If you hit him, he turned into two and then three and then four, and he could create many versions of himself. Uh, I thought this was the extent of the effects of the virus on him. I thought that somehow his powers would help him come through this, but now my favorite character is dead. You may think I'm going to start campaigning to bring back Jamie. Now, this this gets really weird here. I go, but I feel that he should stay dead. Jamie showed me a lot in his short stint in the comic book limelight, even though this, uh, I'll say the next few lines rip my guts out because I remember how, like, lonely and sad I would get as a kid. Oh, this is killer. Even though he had so much pain growing up in solitude, Jamie was always joking and smiling. That's, like, so revealing. yeah. To, like, a sad guy who grew up to beca- become a comedian. <laughs> I remember his mayo jar trick and all those one-liners that kept me sane. That's a weird thing <laughs> yeah, to say. It's like, if those one-liners, that was that was the only thing preventing Keeping me from me bringing sane. a gun to school. Yes, it kind of was. Kind of was. Then I say, Jamie was almost a friend to me and I'll miss him. Now, keep in mind, I don't say he was like a friend to me. Because that would show some recognition that he was fictional. <laughs> I say he was almost a friend. He was. I recognize that he was the closest I had to a friend. Goodbye, Jamie. This letter is dedicated to the memory of Jamie Madrox. Then I sign it, dude. Look at this part. This is the worst. Because when you're a kid, you do dumb shit. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah, yeah, please. You do dumb shit, but you want a level of like deniability. There's so many situations as a kid where you're like, no, 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 I didn't do that. I sign this thing. Not Chris. Not Chris G. Not even Chris Gethard. Christopher Paul <laughs> Gethard, 13 Allen Street, West Orange, New Jersey. With your address, which yeah. is certainly not something they run in the current comic Dude, books. And my middle name. I've never I've never used my serial killer name once. And that, I used Christopher Paul Gethard. And you should know, that was published August 1994. I was 13 when I wrote that letter and sent it off, but it didn't get published for five more months. So August 94, that was the month I entered my freshman year of high school where my brother was a senior. So he was, like, buying copies of this and handing it out to kids. <laughs> it was really bad. That's, like, a movie-level bad first day of high school. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you realize, as a comic book fan, that no one in comic books is actually dead? Like, multiple man's alive now. Well, I will give myself this They didn't credit. take your suggestion of yes. uh, keeping him dead. I don't know why I said, like, I want him to stay dead. I don't know what was wrong with me. But I will also say this. to give The only credit I can give myself, because that's crazy. It's full of things that I wrote when I was 13, and I look at now that I'm 31, and I'm like, oh, my God. It was all there. Every problem I had in life was in that. I, could, I can see it in that letter. But I will say, 
I used to rile off letters to Marvel Comics constantly just to try to get them printed. So I think there may have been a part of me that understood I was being very melodramatic in an effort to get them to notice it, but I regret that because they did notice it. That's so much harder because I imagine today they just take them by email or maybe even tweet them at them or something. Yeah. But but then you must have written a letter. You had to get a fucking stamp. Do you know yes. how hard it is to get a stamp? When you're like 11 years old, <laughs> you stamps, money. those are like mystical uh, currency that you have no access to. You said something in there that it's interesting though, because uh, Multiple Man. I don't. I don't think I really was ever into X. I know Multiple Man, but I don't think I was ever that into X Factor. There's, this is like kind of one of the archetypes of comic book characters. Is like the wise cracking, like the wise yes. ass, and that was always my favorite character too. Yes. Like my favorite character in any given team of superheroes was the funny one. Like in my mind, Raphael is the best Ninja Turtle by yes, far. Yes, same. Right? I love Raphael because he's the funny one. And the thing about X Factor, when I mentioned the new team, when X Factor brought on this new team. It was really they brought. It was like all the scrubs from the X Men universe. Their their leader was Havoc, who's Cyclops's brother, and he's cool. But he was the coolest. Another guy's brother, and then it was like Lila Cheney's bodyguard, who went by the name of Strong Guy, because he mm-hmm. was like I'm the token strong guy. Quicksilver was on the team, and he was kind of like a scrub cast off from the Avengers. It was all like B level characters. And I just kind of loved that. I just thought that was a really funny thing to do. So I was a little obsessed with this comic book as a kid. Yeah, I, I can see that through the letter. So did this haunt you through high school? It was Yes, and it haunts me to this day amongst high school friends. I bet it does because I think about this sometimes. How There's some people in high school that I went to high school with where I can only remember one or two things about them, like the one like really embarrassing thing they did. And I often wonder, what is that thing for me? Like what do people think about yeah. when they like – well, like I like I threw up outside of class one time. Like I had, like I was sick, and the teacher was talking. And I just like got up in a huff and like ran outside and threw up. And everyone in the class like hears me throw up. Obviously, this isn't my fault, but it is sort of. But a, there's people in that class who probably still. Yeah, like, they're like Jeff Rubin. That's the kid that threw up yeah. in local government freshman year. Yeah. My so this is this is that for you? Yes, especially since like I mentioned, since my brother was a senior, he knew all these kids in the school, and there were. I remember like I took a journalism class my freshman year. And this kid who I'm still friends with to this day, a very good friend of myself and my brother's, the way I first met him was he turned around. I was sitting like three seats behind him. He heard them call my name on the roll, and he spun around and went, that kid cried when the multiple man died. <laughs> and like, that's how I met this guy who's still one of my very good friends. But he, like, that's how I met. It still gets brought up sometimes. Well, thank you for sharing the story. I, oh, I, I love hearing about it. My pleasure. Yeah, I like to get it off my chest. Yeah, you seem very comfortable. You seem like you've grown up now a little bit. Yes. Uh... I've also cried when my parents, uh, I was obsessed with Transformers as every kid my age was. Sure. And my parents would not take me to see the movie. So when the uh, season started after the Transformers movie and I found out that Optimus Prime was dead, I like dropped to the floor. I couldn't move, but I was young. I was like six or seven then, mm-hmm. so that's a little more excusable. This I was thirteen years old, crying about the multiple man. So let's talk about this public access show. You recently started a public access show. Yes, a comedian starting a public access show is like a musician releasing an album on cassette. Yeah, it it seems like a very conscious decision. To and make I had a I was in show. a I was in a sitcom on Comedy Central last year. Yeah, and it failed, but it would be like someone with a major label deal releasing a cassette. That's a very accurate depiction of my life right now. But 
you don't seem sad. Like you don't seem bummed about it. Right? No, I and mean there like, are days. There are days where I'm like, man, I had a sitcom. Now I'm doing public access. What am I doing? But I love it. I I'm, know. I get to do what I want to do on this. show. It's very very clear. So why did you make that decision to do a public access show as opposed to? I don't know, a podcast or a web series or anything like that. Well, basically, it kind of all, the stars just kind of lined up on it. I'd been doing a show at the UCB Theater, this monthly talk show, and that had a lot of buzz. We did um, a few different events that got attention, the biggest one being we convinced P. Diddy to come do the show on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. That was like a year-long campaign. Yeah, and it, it was like really relentless and sort of desperate and had all these ups and downs, but we got Diddy to come do UCB, and the New York Times wrote about it. All these people wrote about it. It was cool. But that show was kind of winding down. Like, the buzz was dying off after Diddy, and uh, I knew, like, well, we can't keep doing this. You were so... Can we talk about that Diddy thing for a second? Because you were so persistent. Like, I wanted to have Drake on this show because I'm a huge Degrassi fan, and all I want to do is talk to Drake about his time on Degrassi. Oh, that would be... Amazing. So I just, he doesn't. He must not want to talk about. That, I'm sure right? he does. I I don't know. Probably not. I just I just tweeted at him once, and I was like, "Here goes nothing." I was like, yeah. "Ah, that's it. I'm not gonna. I could. I didn't have the. But you stayed on top of Diddy for a year. Yeah. And there were moments where you had that video with him. Like he was he was kind of stringing you along. I imagine yes. it was nothing personal, a lower priority no. for him. Well, Diddy, he's living Diddy's life. And yeah. I'm living Gethard's life. Like we're different people. But he said he would do it after six days. He called me on the phone. He's like, yeah, this sounds good. I want to do it. He tweeted. He has millions of followers. He said, I'm going to do this show. So I think I would have given up if I just never heard from him. But the fact that he said, I'll do this, and then didn't do it for a year, I was like, I can't drop it. Because it would get to the point where, I mean, it got to the point people were making fun of me. People clearly felt like it was a little sad. But then it happened, and I think a lot of people really loved it. But uh, once it happened, it felt like the grand finale to that stage show. So right when I was starting to think that, I met um, a guy – a guy who I taught in an improv class years ago, I ran into him t- at a bar, and he told me that he worked at Public Access. And he started telling me about their facilities. They have a three-camera studio. You can broadcast live. You can stream it on the internet live. You can have call-ins. And I was like, man, if I wanted to like rent all that equipment, it would cost thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of dollars. And it's just sitting there for free. Nobody's really using it. for you know. I don't know too many comedians who are doing Public Access. And I was like, why not? Why not? It's kind of in the spirit of how weird I like to be. It's kind of in the spirit of the show that we're already doing. So instead of letting it die, why not turn it into something else that's crazy in a new way? Because you can get it online. It it is available as a podcast, and it is available as a – you can stream it live, or you can watch uh, watch it on YouTube or whatever. You can watch our archives. Just like this show. You can actually – this show is, I think, primarily – I think of it as a podcast, but you can also get it on YouTube – but even when you're watching on YouTube, it's like kind of fitting a square peg into a round hole where it's it's it was original it's was built as one thing. And yes. I think it's the same with your public access. Yeah, show. I actually worry that people watch the YouTube clips and I think they're weird and funny on their own right, but I think in the context of the hour, they're much better. So hopefully we get people watching full episodes. But I kind of think of it as in a weird way, I wouldn't have done the show on public access if they didn't have the capability to stream it online. Cause in my head I'm like, okay, Public access, first of all, I grew up on that. Uncle Floyd, 
like steam pipe alley like these weird local shows i was at a taping really it was yeah a lot of people won't remember that it was like a super bizarre local kid show it was was, um, mario cantone yeah yeah and i saw him like years later and i was like is that the dude from steam pipe alley and everyone's like what the hell are you talking about but i feel like that's dead like local tv is not really a thing that was a local access show it was not local access but it was wwr so it was new york uh it was like just the new york market i don't even know i don't even know what it was it was kind of like one of those shows where they just have kids and play games well yeah he'd like host cartoons and then it would be like him doing like a campy like Bette Midler impression yeah and then they'd have two kids like fight in a kitty pool full of I wonder if that's even on YouTube I probably is but you know don't you want to go watch it right now I do want to go look and see if it's on YouTube because I feel like Almost everything you can name at this point is on YouTube, and that that's one of the first things I've thought of in a long time that's a challenge. It's probably there. I think it's probably there. I'm, I'm going to immediately not try to find yeah. it after this conversation. Okay. But yeah, I was thinking, like, you know, we'll make a public access show. I like stuff like that. It's a throwback. It's cool. Tickles, you know, it tickles me in a certain way. And then also, like, we'll make a TV show that will – it'll be public access. It won't look great. But when you think of it as a video podcast – if we had to, if we were gonna rent a, stu- a studio with three cameras and all these capabilities, like, it wouldn't look this good. So when I think of it for the internet, it's pretty good, all things considered. And you it's know? free, like for me, if I want to go have a public access show, I just sign up. What yeah. is the process like? You have to fill out a ton of paperwork, and you have to take classes that certify you to operate their equipment. <laughs> do they like? Do, is there a psychological test to make sure you're like not gonna get on no. camera and start ranting about Hitler? No, psych- you're allowed to do that. There's almost no rules. You can curse. You can screen videos with nudity. You can't be nude in their studio. Um, it's crazy how it few seems restrictions so are in Manhattan. Like, why does that still exist with the internet? Yeah, it's nuts. Well, that's the thing. That's what I like about it. Is like, it's this old school system that shouldn't be around anymore. But when I th- thought about it creatively, it's got everything I need to produce the show I want to produce. Because that's another thing. Like, I got attention for the Diddy stuff and for a few other things that I'd done with this show that were really out of the box. And I'd get like a couple different times people were like, come out to L.A. We want to meet you and talk about your show. And I get real excited. Oh, man, these people like my show. And they'd be like, so tell me about Diddy. Tell me about like that thing we did with that kid Fesh, like where we flew that kid from Ohio. Like, tell us about when you took Can you talk about that real quick? Yeah. I don't, like, don't do it really too much, but that we, was an interesting one, too. Yeah, we like, I, you know, I've had, as you could tell from the X Factor letter, <laughs> I was a sad kid. Sure. And I basically went online and said, if there's anybody else out there who's young and sad and feels like they're kind of alone in their hometown, let me know. I'll fly you to New York, give you the best night of your life. And we did it. We found this kid from Ohio. I paid to fly him out. He was 19. He was a sad dude. He was a comedy nerd. So I got all the, like, Jack McBrayer, Donald Glover, Zach Woods from The Office, a bunch of the SNL guys, Rob Pupil, Paul Shear. Everybody made videos saying, like, what's up, Mitchell Fesh? Like, we like you, all this stuff. And it was this really great night, like a really positive night. And uh, the whole community, the whole comedy community here in New York got behind it. It was cool. So people would hear about stuff like that. And then I'd go out to L.A. They'd be like, oh, tell us about this. Tell us about that. And they'd be so excited. And they'd be like, so what show do you want to pitch? And I'd be like, that show. I want to do like an old school weird show, like a variety show. where The boundaries are really loose. Like like I'm in 2011, I'm 30 years old telling people, like, I want to do, like, the new Steam Pipe Alley. I want to do the new <laughs> Uncle Floyd show. And they'd be like, well, you can't. No, what show do you really want to pitch us now? Mm-hmm. Like, what show do you want to pitch? So public access is the only place where I get to do the show as I would want to do it. Like, it's a put-up-or-shut-up thing. It's kind of me having a chip on my shoulder on a certain level because I'm like, this is the show I wanted to do. Nobody wanted to bite, and I found a way to do it anyway. I won't make any money off of it. 
but I get to do it. I get to say, like, here's what I want it to look like before anybody gets to change it. That sounds very familiar to me. Oh, yeah. As I'm sitting here with these two microphones. Yes, yes, yes. And I think of it in that way of um, the internet. In five or ten years, things like a podcast or a video podcast like I'm making, there will people will have figured out how to make money and make a living off of that. And there will be uncompromised content. Because you can vouch for me, very little of the content that reaches the public fits the vi- that's why louie is such an acclaimed show right mm-hmm. now because it's so clearly the show he wanted to make and nobody tampered with it along the way something else i like about your show being on public access is i mean it's so crazy and i feel like if it was an internet video if i was just watching like a sheen produced product i know that everyone made it to the end alive but i was watching your show streaming live last night and there's a chance that might not happen you know yeah. like it's it's uh it's exciting because it's live there's technical difficulties yeah there sure are fuck-ups Last night, I thought a video was playing, and I was just sitting there chatting with people, and then they were like, you're still on the air. I'm like, oh, come on. There's people wandering in and out of the studio that we don't know. I mean, know. I was watching one last night where the uh, the whole episode, I mean, there's first of all, there's like you and a panel of like eight people. Some are in costumes. Yeah, dressed as bananas. There's some, a woman are... behind us. Every episode, there's a woman hula hooping. Just, just a woman hula hooping. episode. Just no matter what insanity is in the foreground, no matter what is going yeah. on, that woman just keeps hula hooping in the background. And dude, that happened honestly. She came to one show. I'm not. I, I'm not quite sure how she even found out about it. And then came up to me and went, "I can hula hoop. I'm really into hula hooping." And I went, "Can you do it for an hour straight?" And she went, "Yeah." I went, "Do every episode." And she just keeps showing up. Is that how you got most of the cast involved? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are comedians I know from UCB. But like, one of my favorite things about the show, our second episode, this girl called and was like, "What is this? Why would you do this?" And I was like, "Well, we think it's funny." She was like, I don't really get it. I'm like, well, if you come to come to the studio, hang out. Maybe you'll like it better. And she came and came on the air. And then we were like, you can just be on from now on. So we called her Random Jean. Mm-hmm. She was just this random girl that we knew nothing about. And she would just like interject and say crazy shit. She was a very lovable kook, but a kook. I watched an episode with Random Jean. I mean, she's in a lot of them. But I watched one once where... I, you guys were talking. You're just taking calls, which is already crazy because of the people calling, the people yeah. taking the calls. And so in addition to that, and there's a woman hula hooping in the background, in addition to that, there's another layer where when someone blew a vuvuzela, then whoever was talking when the vuvuzela was blown would have to dance off with a b-boy from, oh, uh, yeah. from like this breakdancing group. Yes, yes. And uh, you did it, and it was funny. And then Gene got Yes, Jean this got is one of my Zayla. favorite moments from the whole it show. It was amazing. Because then Gene, so Gene gets up there, and Gene doesn't like, I mean... I don't She's mean to a judge. heavy set girl. Yeah, like I obviously like don't look like I can dance either. Yeah, but you know, I think the goofy thing is like the joke was that it was you guys who can't dance. Yeah, these like incredibly good professional break dancers. And Jean got up there, and she—I guess she had taken dancing lessons. Which yeah, she saw, and she starts pirouetting. Tore it up, right? And she jumps into a split, and everyone went nuts. I ran up. If you watch that section, I run up and give her the biggest hug, and it's so genuine. It's I, it so was, genuine. It was so exciting. And dude, I'll tell you a secret. We had done this experiment with her, and she was—she's a personality, a big personality, and none of us knew her. So we had had some discussions that day of like, should we at some point be like, Jean, you got to move on, or we can't have you this week. And then she busts out this dance, and I'm like, this is what our show should be. It's a home for random, weird people, even if we don't know them, to come do whatever they want. Like, we'll organize it all. I w- from that, I was like, we're never getting rid of Random Jean. She's moved to San Francisco since then, and she was there for 15 weeks. So now our policy on the show is we always need at least one random person we don't know. So now we have Random Andrew, uh, who's just this guy that we just found. 
But uh, once Gene did those splits, that was a huge moment for me too because I'm like, no, the whole point is that we don't know her. The whole point is that it's out of control. But she came in and surprised us. That's awesome. And it's cool you get interesting music acts. Yeah, we uh, really try to get musicians who are weird, comedians who are weird, comedians who aren't necessarily weird, who want to bring out their weird side. We have them on our show. It's fun. What would be an example of that? Like we had John Mulaney and Matt Besser on. Besser, I think, is known to be kind of – he's one of the founders of the UCB. Mm-hmm. He's known to be a chaotic guy. But John Mulaney, he's a stand-up, one of my favorite stand-ups. Yeah. He's, a pol- he's got a polished act. He's a smooth – you know what I mean? He has like a real personality on stage. And he and I emailed. Uh, we've been friends for a while. I was like, you should come on my show. He's like, I've watched some clips. It's insane. I can't wait. I love it. You know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. was really – and I think for him it was like a chance. Like I'll just come, sit down, let my guard down throwing bits, take calls. Like for a lot of people, for a lot of comedians, I think it's like you get up on stage, you do your act, your act is polished, or you're testing out new jokes and there's a science behind that. And that I think for him was a night where it's like what calls are going to come in. It was fun watching Mulaney because he's one of my favorite comedians too and uh, his act is really smooth and polished and professional. It was fun seeing him just like, you know, off the cuff. It's obviously very funny that way too. Him, Bobby Moynihan, Horatio Sands, they've all come in just really let their guard down. Like Mulaney's episode, we had a Muay Thai kickboxer in and he was demonstrating moves on me and kicked me so I was in so much pain that episode. Yeah. And I sat down. Mulaney just started. He's like, why do you do Like, why do you do this, man? Like, why? It's In a weird way, it's such a bizarre show. You have so many characters. Hula hoopers, a guy called the Human Fish, what random people. What is up people. with Human Fish? Yeah. It's fun, right? Yeah. But I still think for all the insanity... On some levels, it's also more honest than things you'll see. Oh, totally, else. yeah. I mean, there are those are real people. Yeah, and we try to do that. We try to make it honest moments. Like, I'm gonna get kicked by a kickboxer. I'm in real pain. This is not staged. No, this you, is not and a, you told that kickboxer not to hold back. Yeah, and, and he you didn't. can tell, you oh, can tell that he was like really looking forward. Some of the like, worst pain I've ever smirk been. In. As he was as he was going for it. It was like, uh, have you ever been shot by a paintball? I have not. It was like that times ten. I've been if electrocuted. Any... Is that worth anything? Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we do some electrocution stuff. On I show. only lightly, like not seriously, but electrocution's its own. It's it's a very unique kind of. You know, it's not like it burning your head. Whole yeah, system it's off. like a different type of. It, it deserves its own category. Yeah, it's very disorienting. There's a, there's an element of jackass to it. I think if I had to compare it to anything, Tom Green seems like the president with his uh, local yes. access show. Well, for me, I was just talking. My brother was on the show last night, and my goal with the show. Is like, you know, I saw that with your brother on there last night. You guys did not bring up this X Factor story. No. Well, he and I, the whole point of the show last night was me and my brother, like, we're two years apart. Mm-hmm. We're Irish. We grew up, like, super close and then fist fighting, and we still have that relationship. And it was us talking about all the rivals. Yeah, you guys stuff. were talking about your problems. X Factor didn't even rank. No, that wasn't even on the list. Funnily enough, I should have brought that up in this example of him, uh, him throwing me under the bus. But I always think, like, what's the show me and my brother would have love to I want to make that show if I was 13 and my brother was 15 and we were flipping through the channels like that's how we found Uncle Floyd I don't know if you remember him he was the local Floyd. access guy in Jersey insanity so we found like ECW wrestling was just on public access like what would me and my brother have loved when we were 15 so to me it's like I did love Tom Green when he first came out Howard Stern Jackass Mm-hmm. These are all things oh, that I yeah. grew up really liking. It's kind of like that old Howard Stern show when Howard Stern used to have yeah, like, Howard a local Stern syndicated show. Channel 9, local yeah. syndicated TV was huge for me. I loved it. I loved like I loved things that felt like they were low quality but had a ton of heart mm-hmm. and the people yeah. like people were making them 
even though they kind of didn't know how to make it right. Like Howard Stern's old show felt like that. If yeah, it was very chaotic. Access. And I was also a little too young, so and it was like very racy. You yeah, know? They were and like, if you watch it now, that's still a hilarious show. It's still amazing some of the stuff they pulled off. So yeah, it's like all those influences are in there. I'd like to think plus the the whole improv background that I have of performing on stage with the cast of people who I know all play off each other well from experience on stage together. So it's weird. I'm psyched that you watch it. I'm psyched anytime anybody watches it. But I think I'm hoping if people give it a shot, there's nothing else like it. I can say it's that. It's so at true. Least. Uh, and it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily easy to get into. Like when I started watching it, I was like, all right, what is this? Yeah. And I like your work. I, I watch anything you do. So I was like, right, let's, let's see what we got here. And it's crazy. But God damn it, it's compelling. Like you can't look away because uh, a lot of shows say this. This sounds like a line you're going to see like on the poster for like the Nate Berkus show. Like, anything can happen with Nate Perkins. But literally anything could happen on your show. Yeah, we have had episodes where people, like, people who are not scheduled to be there just show up. There's a guy. But not like George Clooney, like, drops into The Tonight Show. These are, like, like who dropped in here? Like, this, my friend Phil, who's a funny improviser and a friend of mine, just randomly showed up one night, walked on camera, and was like, I have a poem I'd like to read. And I was like, okay, all right, let's do that now. And now he will just periodically... Sometimes, like, people who watch the show know, like, if you see that guy Phil just walk across the screen, it's because he wrote a poem that he's about to do. Like, and I never have any idea. Last night, even last night, a lot of our audience likes to come and dance to our musical guests, and mm-hmm. they wear costumes. It's like it, American Bandstand, yeah, but with crazy people. Yes, we tell, and we always tell people, like, if you wear costumes, there's a higher chance that we'll put you on camera, and people, you know, want to be on camera. So last night, two guys dressed as Spider-Man show up, one in the red outfit, one in the Venom suit. And we're doing. Well, hold on, I gotta stop you right there. Oh wait, he's symbiote Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, I thought you were saying he's Venom. I was gonna. Like, no, no, no. It's not... Black Spider-Man, Red Spider-Man. You wrote this letter to X Factor. You know what yes, you're talking yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it was the pre-Venom. It, it was Spider-Man. Sure, sure. It was, it was Spider-Man in that in the symbiote suit. So those guys are sitting there, and I'm like, we're doing sibling rivalries. You know what? Let's get. I literally they're in masks. I don't even know who they are. Let's get those two guys up on stage. You guys are up here. I'm going to treat you guys like your brother because you're both Spider-Man. So what issues do you have with each other? And they're talking, joking around a little bit. And we had had this thing where people were allowing the siblings to basically get hit with wiffle ball bats to get their aggression mm-hmm. towards each other out. Right. And we're like, Spider-Man, you want to hit each other with bats? And they're like, yeah. Black Spider-Man starts wailing on Red Spider-Man. Like, really, I mean, physically assaulting him with a wiffle ball bat. And I'm like, oh, I am responsible for that. I had to jump up, <laughs> stop, because Red Spider-Man was like, oh, oh, no, no, no. So, like, I didn't even know those guys were going to be there. And then halfway through my show, there's two men dressed as Spider-Man beating each other with bats. Like, I like that. God, there was one point where a five-year-old called. Oh. And the, now the five-year-old's, five-year-old's just telling you what he wants to see, and now the five-year-old's directing the show. Yeah, I told this kid. This kid called up very early. I was like, if you want to stay on the phone the entire rest of the show, it's your show. We're going to cancel every other bit we have. Kid, tell us what you want. He made the human fish dance. He was making fun of different people. He called again last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I like that. And I also think... I don't know how a five-year-old is calling a public access show at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday night, of course. Yes, it's irresponsible parenting, but we'll take it because it's a good moment in our show. But I also feel like there's an element of that. I wonder if you would agree. Like, interactivity is the future. Things like this, like, even, like, college humor. Like, the content you produce is awesome, and then the community you build around that content is insanely powerful. The people who check it out and comment and feel like they get to know you guys and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that is getting more important. And I think um, it's about 
And I think this is what's cool about podcasting. This is something I've really enjoyed about podcasting. I think it's something cool about the public access show is if you made an internet video every week, it's like five minutes, someone watches it, and they're done. Yeah. But when someone watches your show, and hopefully when someone listens to this show, like they feel like we're, ha- you know, you're really like hanging out for an yeah, hour. Yeah, they know you. They know you. This is like and then, informal. And then there's also ways to connect beyond that where you talk to people on Facebook and you talk to them on Twitter and wherever else. Yeah, because it is true. This could, like, this is a conversation you and I could just be having if we just hung out in a bar. Totally, yeah. Although I'd probably be less self-serving and ask you questions <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, this is this is this is how we usually talk. Yeah, man. They're not for this long, and like one of us would be checking our phones by now, probably. Yeah, probably. That's kind of fun about the podcast is like I, I talk, I get to talk to people. Like I see you fairly regularly. Um, yeah. Like we work together and that kind of thing. But I don't know the last time we like sat down and talked for an hour. Well, that's the weird sadness of being in comedy, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like you have a million acquaintances. Yeah. Like Pete Holmes is a guy who I'll text him every once in oh, a while. Have you listened to his podcast? I have not yet. Dude, I've you're going to It's so good. Yeah. yeah it's and really he just funny. put out an album, too, I need to get. It's not out yet, but it's, it's, it's coming out. It's on its way, right? Yeah, yeah, Did, yeah. Have you seen the cover? I just saw the cover today. It is I think one of the, it is the most. It's called Pete Holmes. I something forget. Pregnancy. Yeah, like the. It, it's hilarious. He's uh, super tan yeah, yeah. and grinning. It's so funny, yeah, the cover. But, like, there's an example of a guy who I'm like, that's a guy I would say is a friend of mine. Mm hmm. I, we text maybe twice a year, yeah, running yeah. to each other when he's in town. Like, I feel like comedians, there is that thing of like this network of people who respect each other, who uh, don't see each other on a human level that much. It's always at shows and videos and projects and stuff like Another that. Another good example of that is Charlie Todd, who was on their show. Who that, and that was probably the longest conversation I got to have with Charlie. Uh, and like Charlie and I have like a running joke where we have College Humor Live like the fourth, third, whatever it is, like every Thursday at UCB or every once a month. And UCBW, the wrestling show, is always on after us. And yeah. I always see Charlie, like, after College Humor Live, before UCBW. Like, we, we talk for, like, a minute or two, once a month, in between our two shows. Yeah. It's a weird lifestyle. It's yeah. strange. It is strange. Do you have any idea how many people, like, what is the audience for public access? Well, they don't keep any numbers on the TV. Because why bother? And because it was, it's been very interesting, actually. Public access... Even though it feels like a dying thing, I give it a lot of credit. All the people who work there are super cool. And the reason public access exists, which I didn't know before I signed up, is that cable contracts have to, cable companies have to get contracts with cities to lay wire in those cities, basically. Mm-hmm. And in New York and in any place with public access, it's written into that. If we're going to give you a contract, you have to provide a community forum on your network. So the cable companies are the ones paying for public access. And... Um, Basically, the people who run it still treat it that way. It's a community forum. It's not about ratings. It's not about who has the most popular show. It's about who wants to get up here and do that. And the other people who do, there's a lot of insane people who we run into at that studio. <laughs> yeah, but that. I give them a lot of credit because like, we got double booked one week. We had to use a small studio because the big studio was double booked. And we get there, and it's a bunch of belly dancers. And I'm like, these women belly dance, and that's their thing. And they want to put it on TV, and this is how they're going to do it. You know, All the people who took the classes with our crew are like, I'm not going to ever be able to get a TV show, but I would really love to be on TV. This is how I'm going to do it. And then I'm in this position where I'm like, I have been on TV, and I probably could go audition and get on TV again if I keep working hard, but this is how I want to choose to be on TV. This is all about people doing it their own way because the community forum is provided, you know? This is something, it's going to sound like I'm kidding, but I have a lot of respect for anyone that does anything. Yeah. Doing things is hard. It's so hard it's to It's hard to find the time to like done, do man. something. So like, I mean, even if it's bad or what you're doing as a passion project and it's never going there or whatever, like 
it, just doing something is in and of itself impressive to me. Yeah, it's been really fun to see what else is on public access. See, like, like I said, like there's a show that's after us. They're not weekly. We're weekly. But every couple weeks, this guy will be after us. And his show, so far as I can tell, is largely just African-American ladies in thongs dancing. And this guy just sitting there grinning. So Sounds I'm like, terrific. But – but, and like, to pull that together, like, yeah. you see how much work it is to pull together a show. I know. Like, it's like I kind of roll my eyes at it. That guy's not just, like, it. showing up once a week. Yeah. Like, he's got to book the women. He's got yes. to, he had to take the class you did. got to learn how to operate the cameras, the control board. He's got to figure out how to set up the whole studio. I and mean, you it's get, probably like, not easy to talk women into doing that, right? No. It's not easy for me or you, I guess. Anyway. It's not, yeah, I mean, I think this guy has an easier time. He seems like a more charismatic fellow. <laughs> he doesn't have, like, the, the pasty glasses look that I rock. You mentioned the show Big Lake a few times. Yes. Was that – was this – you think this was directly in response to that? Because uh, if I can get a little wtf here yeah, for Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you were on our College Humor live stream, uh, or yeah. all-nighter, as you always are, and um, which oh, is great. You and picked it, up on this. You, yeah, I know what you're going to say. You noticed this. You're, and you do this thing every year where people – you, like, ask people to insult you over Twitter. Yes. And it's really funny, and you're a really good sport, and you can see how like good a public access host you'd be from that, because that's that's very public access. It's a lot like yeah. your show, really. And I would actually feel like those experiences, yeah, no small part in informing. I was like, I want to take more calls. One of the things I said is like, I've been insulted so many times on the internet. No prank. This show will be unprankable. That and was, so I really do think it's one of the highlights of the live broadcast when we well, do that. Thank you. I love doing. And, it. And people love insult it. you. It's so funny. But then one person said something about Big Lake, yeah, and you were stung. like, and you 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 took it kind of seriously. It, it felt stung. like it was not. I mean, I rarely talk about this. I'm very happy to talk about it. But you know, I get this. I get this uh, sitcom on Comedy Central. I live in New York. You know, as a New Yorker, like the popular opinion is, you got to move to L.A. if you want big opportunities like that. And That's I managed right. to do it from New York. I feel like the New York comedy community like rallied around me about that. Everybody was like. Hell yeah. There were people at UCB where I've performed for 11 years coming up to me saying, like, I'm so glad people noticed you. It makes me feel like there's hope they'll notice me. I feel like you were one of the people who just worked hard and didn't and did it the right way. Like, you're not one of the people working the system. All these people putting all this stuff on me. There's a New York Times article. Adam McKay and Will Ferrell produced the show. There's a New York Times article literally called something like The Pressure of Being a Reluctant Sitcom Star. All about how like I got brought out of nowhere and all the pressure is on me. All the factors in this show, the producers, circumstances surrounding it are the dream. And it's now it's on me to deliver. There was an, an interview, I forget who I did the interview with, that said, you know, Donald Glover and Jack McBrayer and Rob Corddry all came out of UCB. How are you going to react if you're the guy who drops the ball? Well, I don't, okay. And then the show gets canceled. And it has been a rough year. I think I've handled it very well, but there's certainly an aspect to you just got the lead on a TV show produced by Will Ferrell. You get to live in New York still. Everything you wanted as far as your childhood dreams, you have your own TV show, and you don't even have to move to the city. You don't like to do it, and then it fails hard and publicly, you know? Mm -hmm. Not easy, and I'm like, it's a weird thing because I've handled it better than I thought I would. I mean, I think by simply getting back on that horse and moving on and like doing something else like that is alone is the healthiest thing you can do and, and it's shows true. That you're handling it well i think and i will say this in a very odd way diddy helped with that because while big lake was happening that was right in the middle of the year where i was still chasing diddy 
So I always had my eye on this other prize mm-hmm. that I always knew. Because Big Lake, I loved the experience. And I won't speak ill of anybody who's involved in it or anybody who gave me that opportunity. But it is weird being the lead of a show that, like, I didn't write. And I came in last minute replacing John Heater, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it was not only did I not write it, it was written specifically in someone else's voice. And then there was this scramble to try to bend it back my way. So it's like, I'm happy I got the opportunity, but it also feels like this thing that I was disconnected from on a certain level. It was at arm's length before I ever got involved. And yet at the whole time, I did have this Diddy thing where I'm like, that's me. That's my, because you've known me for Mm -hmm. years. You know, I I do do notoriously have like sort of weird, sort of dark sense of humor. And Big Lake wasn't that. It was a more traditional sitcom. And like I said, not speaking ill of it, I got the job as an actor. I went in there and did the job, did it as best as I think I could. But having my show exist, especially the Diddy thing, always reminded me, like, don't get too caught up in this thing that's not yours. And it, it has made me recommit to the idea of, like, in a way that's probably a foolish gamble, I feel like I have to, as a comedian, make... I've got to find a way down the line to make something that's mine mm-hmm. because I don't know, like the experience of just acting out someone else's words was great, but also was not when it, when it ended, I didn't feel that sad in a, in a very odd way, in a surprising way. I didn't feel that sad. I didn't feel like it was a huge loss. Whereas if my public access show that I only lose money on got, if they said you can never do it again, I would be in bed for a week sad, you know? Yeah, it's I think about that shows creativity. That maybe it was a good thing, you know? I think that you got to trust your gut on that kind of thing. Yeah, and it, I did make a lot of money off of it, which I'm living off of. So my the way I look at the whole Big Lake experience right now is basically Will Ferrell and Adam McKay plucked me out of nowhere and gave me a job that has now given me enough financial breathing room that I can honestly try to do my own stuff how I want to do it. You know, which I think mm-hmm. is a healthy perspective. Just to, to tie it all back to this X Factor letter, I yeah. think there's an angle of your show that's not. There's a lot of stuff I think right now. Maybe the show's part of it. That's like about like nerddom. Yeah, like nerds. I think nerds are like, uh, you know, they're not really like a minority. Like they kind of act like sometimes. Yes. You know, yes. like nerds can always hang out with other nerds. But your show is about. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, this isn't maybe the right word, but losers more yeah. than nerds. Oh, like I out, think that's outsiders, the outcasts, outcasts and losers. And yeah. you can kind of see that, you know, uh, in yes. the letter. I love that. Well, the motto I came up for the show: we have postcards to advertise the show, and on the back it says, "No cool kids, man. No, we want this to be the show for people who are legitimately not cool, sad people, people who have failed at what they wanted to do, people who feel like losers, like beyond nerds. We want losers for real, like because I was." I mean, this is not going to surprise you. I was always a nerd, but I don't think I was ever, uh, I don't think I was ever like a, like I always had friends, you know, like I I, I never was lonely, I'd say. Yeah, I always had friends too, but I always did feel like on the outside of everything. Mm -hmm. I always did feel like I was like at the, I feel like I was in high school, the kid who was like tangentially at the fringe of every group. Like I was okay with everybody, but my own thing was weird, man. I was like sitting home. Reading comic books, watching playing video access. games, yeah, watching wrestling, picking my nose. You know what I mean? Like, I knew I was a loser, but I've embraced that. But yeah. like, yeah, man, if a girl, sh- if a lady shows up and says, "I do hula hoops," yeah, you can be on our show if that's your thing. Because where else are you gonna go? You're gonna go to our show, and that's I like that. 
It's losers. It's for losers. You know what else I'm noticing looking at uh, your letter is that you did not get – usually they re- the editor replies oh, like, yeah. oh, well, keep an eye out for that in the next issue. Yes. Your letter, no reply from the editor. Yes, and I think almost every other letter got a reply, right? <laughs> did every other letter? It looks like every other letter the editor wrote back, but yours they were just like, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. This. Like we better not say anything. Or I almost wonder if they published it like as a joke, being like this is so pathetic we have to air it. Or the maybe, world needs to know about maybe this. Maybe they were just scared, and they were like, if we don't publish this, like, they just received your other letters. That must be some yeah. poor intern's job to go through all those letters. I'm, I would imagine so. Yeah. Although, looking at that, you tell me. I would eat some Crunch and Munch right now. <laughs> it, looks what, pretty, it looks pretty good. What an underrated forgotten food from my childhood. Uh, your public access show, Chris Gethard Show, yeah. where can I see it? If you go to thechrisgethardshow.com, which is spelled thechrisgethardshow.com, that's how my last name is spelled. You can watch every episode live uh, the week it airs. Our archives are there. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search The Chris Gethard Show. We have a YouTube channel if you want to watch clips. We've made a lot of ways to find it, but I really want to encourage, if you're interested, subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, It'll re- get the I would recommend episode. watching the whole show rather than the clips. Yeah. Because the clips are fun, like they're the highlights, but yeah. um, you, you really got to listen to the album. Yeah, we're kind of like, we're trying to build like a world of recurring characters, and I think if you treat it as such, it's a more satisfying show. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Chris. Dude, thank you. So fun. Thanks for having me.